You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. I've been gone for a while. I was in the Southeast for a little bit, dropping the girls, uh, a couple of my kids off to North Carolina for camp. Then I circled over to DFW to meet up with a couple of you, more than a couple of you, quite a few of you, in uh, one of our major transactions that's going on with Turo Asset Management Group. So that was really fun to see a number of you there. And then I went to Chicago for a bit. I haven't been there in a while, but uh, seeing all friends and stuff. But now back in California and back in Montecito and I oh, feel a feel like I kind of needed to get home here. Anyway, it's, we're in the thick of summer here, and we are, you know, in a funny economy. You know, it's funny when you think about, like, what's happening right now, and it's like, wow, how did we get here? Well, gosh, we just, we just went through the weirdest, like, two and a half years or so with COVID and all this, not nonsense, but, you know, the this chaos. And then we end up uh, in this, you know, this war in Ukraine, a breadbasket of Europe. We got supply chains uh, all messed up. So surprise, surprise. The good news is that if you zoom out, you know, and really look into this, I mean, this is expected, you know, you're going to have some blips along the way. And if you look at what's going on, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think there's much to worry about in terms of banks being over leveraged, too much debt in the system. I mean, actually, there's all-time highs, or not all-time highs, but, you know, certainly uh, some of the highest savings rates that we've had in the country in, in decades. And uh, I think it's a matter of normalizing things. So, you know, uh, but it, it doesn't mean that makes it any easier I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we have to figure out what we're going to do because we can't sit around and do nothing. So what do you do? And it depends uh, who, who do you listen to? Do you listen to economists? Well, the thing is, there's a major distinction between economists and investors. So while most economists classify themselves with schools of thought, such as, okay, I'm a Keynesian or I'm an Austrian economist, Successful investors really can't afford to do so. Now, you can say, well, there's, you know, there's some successful podcasters who say they're Austrian economists, whatever, but I would argue that the reason that they are making a lot of money for themselves is assets under management, not performance, okay? So that's the reality. Now, I uh, just spent a significant amount of time uh, during this uh, time off reviewing some of the work from uh, Saifedean Amos, uh, you may know him as the author of the Bitcoin Standard, truly become the Bible for serious Bitcoiners of the world. And Amos, you know, he's an academic, trained at Columbia, uh, one of my alma maters, and I highly recommend you read his work because you know what? He's very, very smart. And when you listen to him, you just can't help but say, gosh, this guy makes sense. Read it. He just makes sense. And the primary theme uh, of his work really is that Keynesian economics is pretty much responsible for all of the evils of the world. Now, <laughs> I'm only slightly exaggerating because the reality is Amos would say that pretty much every war 
since World War I could be pretty much blamed on Keynesian economics. Just backing up a little bit, because I know some people are like, okay, yeah, what are you talking about Keynesian economics? Without much, too much detail, let's just say Keynesian economics refers to the idea that demand drives supply. And the key to a healthy economy is to spend or invest more than you save. So Keynesian economics is the reason that governments borrow money and spend it. And it's really fundamentally the economic system that we run on, right? So that's that's the system. And one of our biggest problems today is inflation, which to some degree or, or I would say is required in the Keynesian system. So ultimately what leads uh, Saifedean aim is to consider Bitcoin uh, as, you know, or the Bitcoin standard is the best economic system is that Bitcoin is deflationary, allowing people to actually store value over time in a meaningful way. And it's out of the control of the central authority, right, of, of governments with a gun to your head, as he would say. So anyway, it's very interesting stuff. But how do we use this information practically? You know, hardcore Bitcoiners will tell you to put all your money into Bitcoin and get out of uh, fiat. And, and you know, uh, I they could be right. I don't know. But if things work out the way Amos and the rest of uh, uh, the hardline Bitcoiners believe, that would be a very good move. But how do we know it's going to happen? Just because something makes sense, because... You know, Saifedean's a great writer and he makes a lot of sense. Doesn't mean that that will become reality. We've seen that over and over. The reality now is that governments rely on the Keynesian system, right? That is our reality. That's where we live. Therefore, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, the Keynesian system. Regardless of what you hate about, how much you hate it, and how much you think it's wrong, that's the system we live in. That's the system where the governments uh, rely on, and it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. And while Bitcoiners often prophesize of some macroeconomic um, apocalyptic event that leads to this Bitcoin standard, I personally would not count on it. Okay, and, and uh, don't get me wrong. I do see Bitcoin as a major player in the world economy in the coming years. It will take some time, but I believe it will be digital gold. And even over the next five years, I believe that Bitcoin will be worth $250,000 or more. And, and that'll just be the beginning. So yes, I am stacking Bitcoin, but I'm still 85% real estate because that's what I know, I know will be successful over time. That's the rules that are in play right now. And so that's what I have to focus on. Not what I wish, not what I, you know, think is the right thing for the world, but what is reality? You and I are investors. We may have our own belief systems and, again, wish things were a certain way, but the playing field and the rules are written by governments, not ideological economists. So we have to navigate the personal finance world on what is not what should be. And what we do know right now is that inflation is real. We know it's real and we need to figure out how to make our investments exceed inflation. The money supply has grown an average of 14% every year for the last 60 years now. And that's actually a pretty conservative number. 
And that's why inflation is inevitable. It is inevitable. The best thing that investors can do is to invest right now in inflation hedged assets like real estate. That's the most practical thing. Although inflation does not directly, you know, include asset prices in its calculations, it's kind of silly to think that it, you know, it <laughs> that that there's no uh, that there's no effect. Uh, owning assets is a way you keep up with inflation, right? Uh, you own real things that end up costing more because inflation. So even though CPI doesn't take into account the cost of equities, it you know it it should. So what else can you do? And well, as real estate investors, we work with a lot of debt. Inflation erodes debt, punishes savers. And as long as we're prudent with our debt, the math is pretty darn clear on that. Debtors are rewarded in inflationary environments. So keep your leverage intact. This is not financial uh, advice, but I, this is my opinion. Keep your leverage intact and let that debt erode as governments continue to print money. And then finally, we have to figure out how to maximize our profits. If inflation's running at 7% per year, you need to make more than that just to keep up. And remember, this is after taxes. That's really important, right? And that's really, really important. And that brings me to tax mitigation. One of the most powerful tools to maximize your investment dollar right now is tax efficient investing. And that's why tax mitigation is such a major theme of wealth formula. To maximize your profits, you either make more money or pay less of it in taxes or both. Legally, paying less taxes is actually easier and much quicker than making more money in most cases. And from personal experience, I can tell you that the investment of time and money into adequate tax planning is one of the most profitable decisions you can make. And what I have learned personally and implemented uh, uh, is largely uh, due to the man that I am going to interview today. Uh, he's a guy you know very well, Tom Wheelwright. So make sure to listen uh, to this show. Uh, as we navigate this uh, economy, you can only control the things that you know are going to uh, be reality one of them is if you pay less taxes, you get to keep more of it. That's pretty simple, right? Um, so you're going to learn all about that. Obviously, it's always good to catch up with Tom and learn what's new in the tax code. And we'll have all that right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is no stranger to the show. He is Tom Wheelwright, a CPA and a CEO and founder of WealthAbility. The specializing in wealth and tax strategy. He's also a leading expert on partnerships and corporation strategies. He's an author of the best-selling book, Tax-Free Wealth, which is on my must-read list. If you go to my uh, website, wealthformula.com, you'll see that is one of the things that you got to read. Uh, and he's got a new book, The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, Seven Investments the Government Will Pay You to Make. Tom, welcome back to Wealth Formula. Thanks, Bob. It's always good to be with your folks. I uh, love, love seeing you guys at the conferences, love and talk to you um, in the podcast. Yeah. You know, um, we have, we've, you know, we talk periodically and it just seems like there's always something that might happen in the tax world or things that are on the table, changes, the subtle changes that we may not know about. 
Uh, so is let, let's just start with a little update. What what's going yep. on? What do we need to know? Well, so so I think the biggest thing is what's going on at the IRS. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, because we don't have tax law changes going on, except the IRS is making, they appear to be making their own tax law changes. So let me give you an example. Uh So, um, some of, some people are familiar with the idea of a captive insurance company where you actually protect, you know, this is insurance beyond your regular insurance, right? Where you've just got so much liability out there that you need, basically supplemental insurance um, to protect your liability. And uh, the IRS has never liked this. It's uh, clear in the law that it's yeah. allowable. Yeah. There's a section eight, section 831B of the tax law that specifically allows it. They've been going after it for years. Uh, they recently won a case called reserve mechanical, not really good facts, um, which is always a problem, right? Bad facts make bad mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they've used this as a kind of a bludgeoning tool. And what they're doing right now that anybody who is thinking about a captive or has a captive or anything like that needs to know this. Um, they're, if, if you are audited and your captive is uh, and, and you're audited for your captive insurance, they will disallow your deductions. They will make you an offer. They'll ask you to give them a whole bunch of information. And then they will just say, too bad. We're going to disallow it all. And here's the offer. And if you don't like the offer, go to court. And I, I just want everybody to know that's where it is. I'm, it's, it's simply what they're doing. Okay. So uh, what's your chance of being audited? Pretty low. Okay. Let's, let's, let's be, but we never like to do something. We never want to play the audit lottery. Really just be aware that um, if you are audited, you're going to have some tough decisions to make um, because you, you, they will force you, you they'll force your hand either to accept their offer or go to tax court. Right. So I think, I think the, there's a couple of things with regard to captives. And by the way, the idea there, if people are wondering is, you know, the insurance is sort of a a self-insurance type thing. It's pooled type uh, activity, but there are some, there's certainly some tax advantages that go along with that. I encourage you to look that up. We don't really have time to go into it, but the, the, um, uh, it seems to me that what they're doing is, uh, kind of using an old fashioned trick that people kind of who've, who've been in litigation know, which is ultimately, do you got the money to defend this? Do you want to yep. spend the money to defend this? Right. Or do you want to just settle and just say, okay, I'm sorry. And uh, you're right. And I shouldn't have done this and, and we'll just move on. And to me that that's a very uh, curious tactic, right? It's almost, it's yeah. a very bully. It's a bully like tactic because it is. really they know these people are like, you're, what you're doing is even if you think you've done nothing wrong, you're following the law, you're making, you're having, you're being forced to make a decision on the economics of going to trial. Correct. Yeah. And that, that, that's, that, that's exactly what's going on. And you know, they're doing the same thing with conservation easements, right? The same, yeah. taking the same approach. Basically what's happened is in both of these areas, 
there are bad actors. We know that. Sure. Okay. There are people who value conservation easements improperly. There are people who take too much of a premium deduction for their captive insurance. I mean, there are people who misuse their cap, you know, treat it like another, just like they do with a business, right? They treat it like another pocketbook. And so there's always going to be misuse really in anything that gives you a tax benefit or a business benefit, right? That's always the way it's going to be. What they've done, what they're pretty much doing is throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, well, because some of you are bad actors, we're going to throw everything out and make you prove it. it it's, it's challenging to me. I've been a tax professional for over 40 years and I've never seen this before in 40 years. So this is a, the, this whole idea that we're just going to disallow everything and make you prove it no matter what your facts are. Uh, it's, it's a little um, disconcerting, frankly. And I, I actually have friends uh, that are in, retiring in part because of it's no, it's not fun anymore. You mean um, the CPA you, side? CPAs. Yeah. Oh, okay. CPAs who are retiring and they're retiring because um, the IRS is just keeps adding more rules, more forms, um, like in your business, uh, Buck, in the real estate business, we now get, you know, we've already ha- always had K1s. Now we have K2s and K3s, mm-hmm. right? I mean, seriously, I mean, and, and some of those forms are like a hundred pages and I'm going just so that you can capture one little piece of information. And, you know, you've got the, uh, another one is the, the crypto question, right? Yeah. If you, if, if you trade it in crypto and you don't answer that question, that's fraud. You go to prison for that. And so they're just using a kind of using a, 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 a um, sledgehammer, you know, where, uh, where a little, um, little tap would probably do the trick. So but, where does that come from, Tom? I mean, cause you said it's not legislation. So is it just the administration um, it is. giving sort of a, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do. We can't get the laws. So we're going to take the laws uh, that, that are out there and we're going to make them ultra punitive. That's yeah, the, I I, th- I I think part of it we can find in the dysfunction of Congress, right? Yeah. Because you can't get any consensus. So if you can't get consensus, what do you do if you are trying to administer a law that you go, this is really easily abused, and it is. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I I'm the first to say, is it easy to abuse a captive? The, the captive insurance uh, provision, absolutely easy to abuse it. Is it easy to pre- pre- abuse conservation easement? Yes, it's easy to abuse. Um, a lot of other provisions aren't so easy to abuse. Right? Are you getting a sense of like, if they're, you know, the, the, the people that are getting audited are on those fringes of, of you know, really not. Uh, you know, I, I'm not seeing that, Buck. Yeah. So you're seeing like, you know, I'm following what, what, the law, that kind of thing, right? What, what's what's happening is they're not getting audited because of their captive. Mm-hmm. They're getting a regular tax audit. That, obviously, you filed an 8886 when you filed your captive. They see that when they see the return. So they automatically look at the captive. But when they look at the captive, then they're automatically just disallowing it. So this is not, I mean, are they, you know, with conservation easements, they're, they're auditing all conservation easements across mm-hmm. the board. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's different with the captive. They're not doing that yet. Um, they might, but they're not doing it yet. All they're doing is if they find that you have a captive, when they audit you, they are just at that point disallowing everything. The, um, you mentioned the 88, 
66? Uh, 8086. 80, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there a recent court case? That, it was. That, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that, the court case that, um, and, and how that, you know, what this the implication is? This is the, the one piece of good news. Yeah. This is the one piece of good news, which is the, the court recently held that uh, the IRS could not require an 8086. And basically what happened was the IRS just didn't go through their proper procedures when they started requiring them several years ago. This was not the current administration. This was before the current administration. And um, they they didn't follow the proper procedures. The Supreme Court first held that, look, it looks like this was done illegally. They remanded it down to the lower court. The lower court said, in fact, um, it wasn't handled properly. So right now, by uh, according to the this case, the IRS is not even allowed to accept an eighty eight eighty six on a captive. Now, I still know, um, I still know a lot of people are still filing the eighty eighty six because they're going. Well, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to, I'm going. I I don't know that. I, I think it's frankly, I think it's illegal right now until they appeal. It's a, it's illegal for the IRS to accept those. Um, they are. But I think I think it's I, I think that the court would say you're not supposed to accept. And the court actually said to the IRS they were supposed to send all the 8886s is back to the taxpayers. Yeah, well, I, mean, which, I, haven't seen, I haven't I haven't heard of any taxpayers getting their 8886. No, no. <laughs> and and but but you know in a in a way then it just seems like well they're not required and and really uh, if, if there's an auditor. And, uh, you know, just you, you get audited for something else. And if there is, there's no flag like that, like that document, um, does that make it less likely to be challenged? Um, I would say a little. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because you're going to sh- still show a fairly sizable insurance expense Yeah. on your tax return. Yeah. So, um, well, hopefully it's not too big because if it's too big, it shouldn't have been taken anyway. Right. right? I mean, there is some reasonableness requirement here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the reality is it, it will be, they'll have to dig for it for sure. And uh, I, you know, my point is, is that you, you never should do anything that's, I don't even think even, even in the gray area, I think you should absolutely follow the law, um, do everything uh, legally, ethically, and morally. There are so many tax benefits available, so many tax incentives. That's what win-win wealth strategy is all about, is all those tax benefits. There's so many incentives out there. There's no need to cheat. There's no need to go to a gray area. There's no need to do anything um, crazy because there's it's so easy to not pay tax legally. Right. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, you've got this book again, it's, uh, called the win, win, well strategy, seven investments, the government will pay you to make, by the way, when is, when does that come out? Cause I don't think it's been released yet. It is uh what well, you can pre-order it on Amazon now Okay, and pre-order it at Barnes and Noble now. Got so it. you can pre-order it. Um, also we have a website, win, win, You can pre-order it at as well. Um, it releases officially July 12th. So not surprisingly, real estate made the list. <laughs> right. <laughs> not surprising at all. Uh-huh. Uh, real estate made the list. And in fact, what's really interesting when I, so when I wrote the book, I wrote it originally, I was going to write it really, it was based on the seven investments government will pay you to make. And I was taking purely a taxpayer view of this. 
But what's happened the last two or three years is there's been all this discussion about the rich don't pay tax and they're cheating and we need to tax the rich more. And so I thought, well, maybe we ought to look at the government side of this. What does the government get out of this? Because is this like, is this a zero sum game? Is this a game where if the government wins, the taxpayer loses, or if the taxpayer wins, the government loses? And the answer is in six out of the seven investments, okay? I'm gonna be careful here because there's one where the government does not win. Um, But in six out of seven investments, the government wins and they win huge. And in fact, Buck, I'm, I'm dying for you to read it. Uh, I'm I'll going to send you my yeah. personal copy for you, yeah. but I, I'm dying for you to read it because um, what's fascinating to me is that any investor would kill to be in the government's position. Yeah. They would absolutely kill to be in the government's position. So the reason we call, we re, retitled it to the win-win wealth strategy is it's when the government wins, the taxpayer wins. Now the government's always going to win. Okay. As a general rule, but this is a case where, the taxpayer can win and the government can win. And what happens is, particularly in real estate, for example, real estate's a perfect example. Real estate wins in multiple ways. So real estate wins because of the depreciation deduction, obvious, that's the big one, right? Mm-hmm. But also wins because of debt, right? You get, yeah. more, I mean, you know, if you put 80% loan to value on your property, you basically increase your deduction five times. Yeah right? You get five times the deduction. So debt actually is one of the preferred, I talk about how important debt is in real estate from a tax standpoint, because debt magnifies your tax benefits. That's what it does. It magnifies your returns. It also magnifies your tax benefits. On top of that, um, one of the other investments I talk about is energy. And now you've got this opportunity with the renewable energy to combine energy tax benefits with real estate tax benefits, and on top of that, add in business tax benefits. So real estate actually gets three, mm-hmm. okay? Because you can do energy, so because you, you can put solar panels on your roof, right? You can do energy, you can do real estate, you can get debt, and you can uh, get all the business deductions that go along with it as well. Uh, you could drill down a little bit on the energy one. I think that one's probably less uh, familiar to most of us, but there, there are credits involved. Can you, can you kind of give us a little example there? Oh my heavens. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So I'm putting solar right now in my building. Okay. I have an office building in Tempe, Arizona, uh, where my CPA firm Mm -hmm. resides as well as WealthAbility. And, uh, and I actually did the numbers for my solar. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the book, I actually go through my numbers. And what I found was, is, um, you get a credit of 26% and then you get a deduction of 87% of the cost. So let me, let's go through these numbers. I'll go through them real quick to you. Mm-hmm. Let's say you put a hundred thousand dollars of panels on your roof. Mm-hmm. You get a $26,000 credit. That's actually the government's giving, going to reduce your taxes by $26,000. Then you get a depreciation deduction of 87,000, which is another basically um, almost $40,000 deduction. You end up only paying 38% of the cost or less than 38% of the cost of that solar, Uh which means that when you're looking at your return on investment, you're not comparing it to the the $100,000. You're comparing to the $38,000 you're actually paying. And so I found that my projected return on investment for my solar panels is about 22%. Just from installing them. 
just just basically from the tax benefits right and 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 so so that in in Arizona it's about a seven percent return on the hundred thousand but remember only paid thirty eight percent of it so you actually have to multiply that by three uh, right because I'm only paying basically a third of the cost and I pay a third of the cost and I get a hundred percent of the benefit from the because I'm paying that much less in in utility bill, right? Right. So just the 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 reduction in expense is worth seven percent, seven thousand dollars a year to me, basically yeah. seven thousand on the hundred. Yeah. But because I didn't put that much money into the first place, that magnifies the return up to twenty two percent. But think about this: you can you can actually use debt for solar. Right. I actually calculated in the book. I think I calculated an example where you could get. You could actually get up to a two to two hundred percent return on your investment day one, wow. completely legally, and all you have to do is make sure that your uh, the the expense reduction on your utilities is enough to pay for your debt. That's all you have to do. If you can break even on it, you get this enormous return right off the bat. Uh, well, that's a, that's a reason enough for people right there to. <laughs> Read the book, I think. Uh, if you didn't get Tom's example, read it and, you know, use it. I think this is something that we're certainly starting to talk a little bit about in our private um, investor group. Um, how does the, the government play, let's use one of the things in general that you talked about in your book is the government, how does the government play the tax game? What does it ultimately want? <laughs> so here you go. So, so remember the government... Um, you, you can't get out of the game, right? You, you, you have to play the game, whether yeah. you like it or not. You're, if you live in the U S or you're a citizen of the U S you are playing, you are in the game. The government makes all the rules. They have, they officiate the rules. That's the IRS. They are the judge and jury for the rules. And so what you have to do is just recognize that, look, this is stacked. The, the government is going to win. And, and not only do they win, they actually win financially, Buck. So when I look at the solar example, I actually run the government side of it. The government makes money on this. Yeah. So even though they're putting in like two thirds of the cost, they do make a good return on their investment because remember it's down, over the years, I'm increasing my taxable income, right? Because I'm reducing my deduction for, for uh, electricity. So they're actually making a return on their investment they also get their climate goals, right? They, the government wants that. Plus they get their energy goals is producing more energy. So the government gets a lot of social policy wins out of it. They get economic policy wins out of it. They get jobs out of it. Um, the government wins in many, many ways. Uh, the taxpayer wins in two ways. The taxpayer wins by lower taxes and by building more wealth. That's how the taxpayer wins. Talk a little bit about, you know, they're so why are uh, Joe Biden and Elon Musk publicly feuding? <laughs> are they playing the tax game here? What's going on? Maybe talk a little no, bit about No, they're, they're the actually feud? not feuding over taxes. They're feuding over, they're feuding, uh, what they're feuding over is unions. So um, Joe Biden has always said, I'm a union guy, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's his platform is yeah. I'm a union guy. Yeah. And Elon Musk is absolutely, I am not a union guy. I'm leaving California because I don't want to be unionized. I'm leaving California because I don't want um, all the regulation. 
the California split. That's why he moved to Texas, right? That's why I put his his new facility in, in uh, Austin, Texas. And so what he's saying is, is Elon Musk is saying, <clears throat> look, and he's right now they're feuding because Elon Musk is saying, you come back to work or you're fired. Right, because basically he was like, everybody goes back to work. I yep. mean, that's, that was the... That was like the, I guess the controversial thing, right? Like he's yeah. like, no more homework. Nobody work from home. You got to go, you got to go back in, which it's, it's funny to me that that seems like such a crazy notion. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it bizarre? It's just so, are, are you kidding? Are, are we like in bizarro world here? Right. <laughs> They're like, what is he? Some sort of, you know, horrible human being, you know, and just, he wants how, people how to work. How dare you actually ask somebody to come into the office? <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, 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 you know, what, what is that all about though? I mean, in the big picture, is it, you know, what, what do you think's going on there? In the big well, picture? I, you know, I, 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 everything, I think everything president Biden does relates to supporting his core base, which is the unions. And so for example, let me give you an example. Yeah. So in the build back better plan, which remember anytime the, the government names something, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, so the American rescue plan was really should have been called the American inflation plan. Right. Right. And the build back better plan should be the build back worse forever plan. Yeah. Um, but in that plan, if you were to buy an electric car that Elon Musk built in a non-union factory, you'd get a $7,500 credit. If you bought it in a unionized factory, you get a $12,000 credit. How would you even know? <laughs> Well, the, 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 yes, the car manufacturer, it's yeah. the, it's, it's the car dealer that's going to actually give you, show you the credit, right? Got Typically it. what the car dealer does is they actually let you assign the credit over to them and yeah. they actually take it off the price of the car. That's how they do it. Wow. So, in other words, that means that a, a car built the exact same car that's built in a GM plant uh -huh. is you get, you pay $4,500 less for than if it was built in a Tesla plant. That doesn't seem legal. <laughs> I, it doesn't seem legal. I, I'm not, I am not convinced that that provision is legal. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not convinced, but I'm going, you know, I, I grew up, Buck, I grew up, my, my dad um, uh, had a printing company and his employees at one point tried to unionize. And uh, I know what unions can do and I'm not a fan. Um, the unions, uh, put, put sugar in our gas tanks. They, they egged our house. They put acid on our cars. Um, and these are people that my dad had taken care of as an employer for 20 years yeah. or 30 years. And it, it was just really, really sad. And I was just a kid. Um, but I remember really, really well. My dad, um, after that, he did, he stopped it. He was successful, um, from unionizing. And he would, after that, always cross a picket line. If he, if he saw a picket line, he would actually, even, even if he wasn't, wasn't working there, there. He, he wasn't headed there, but he saw a picket line. Let's say he saw a picket line at a grocery store. He would actually pull into the parking lot, stop there, go in and buy something at that grocery store just to cross the picket line. Hmm. That's how strongly he felt about it. And I've got to say, I mean, I felt pretty strongly about it myself. And I, I just go, you know, it's like people are trying to unionize at Trader Joe's. This is like one of the best places in the world to work yeah. is Trader Joe's. Yeah. I mean, they're known for how well they treat their employees or Starbucks is another one, yeah. you know, and yet they're trying to unionize and going, what do they think they're going to get out of this? The unions want power. We know that. 
Um, but what do the employees think that they're going to get out? And what's the problem going on that needs to be solved? Because clearly there's a problem if this is what's going on, right? And so um, I, I think it's something that we have to pay attention to, frankly, as employers, especially. Um, with the book, now, if you um, if you had like one major sort of theme and takeaway that you'd want people to get from this, what is it? Uh, I would say it's that you're in the tax game, whether you like it or not, and you have a choice. You can be a passive partner with the government or an active partner with the government. And a passive partner pays a lot of tax. An active partner can pay zero tax. But it, it's really your choice. You, you're either active or passive. You know in your business, Buck, in the real estate business, if you're active, you get all sorts of benefits. And if yep. you're passive, you get much, <clears throat> many fewer benefits, yep. right? The same thing is true in the tax world. If you're a passive partner with the government, we're all partners. Any, anybody who looks at their their, their pay stub and sees, says, who, who the heck is FICA, right? They're taking money out of my paycheck. Who is this person that gets my money? They know, you know, you're a partner with the government. Everybody really knows that. The question is, are you a passive partner or an active partner? And you get to choose. And what I, the, the point of the book is to let you know, here's, here's some choices you could make that would drastically change your life because they would reduce your taxes, increase your wealth. So much so, Buck, you know, I think you're going to like the last chapter best. Because in the last chapter, I show a true life example of how one of my clients effectively got the government to pay for his Ferrari. Okay. Tell me how he did it, Tom. You know, I'm in the market. <laughs> now that you're going to have to read the book for. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, 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 I used actual, I, I just want you to know, all of these cases, I used actual numbers. So for the solar, I used my actual numbers. For the Ferrari, I used my client's actual numbers. He gave me the permission to do that. And I used his actual, uh, so he did it through real estate. You wouldn't have to. You could do it in one of the other seven. Um, not all of the seven are equal. Real estate's one of the better ones. Um, but he did it with real estate. And he was literally able to pay for the entire Ferrari with, the with government money. Okay. Got it. Got it. So I got, I, I, I'm kind of starting to understand that. I thought I was for a moment thinking to myself, wait a second, the government is incentivizing me to buy a Ferrari. Well, I'm a very patriotic guy. I need to, <laughs> I need to do that right away. Yeah. yeah. I don't think the government cares what cares, whether you go buy a Ferrari or, or a house on the beach or whatever you use it for. What they care about is that you do what they want you to do and they right. invest the, and that you invest the way they want you to invest. Cause the, the government says, basically says some investments we are going to incentivize and some investments we're not. Uh, but one of the things I did in this book, Bob, is I looked at 15 different countries and I looked at, for these seven investments, I looked in 15 different countries on how the tax incentives worked in all 15 countries. So I have like 150 endnotes for 15 different countries. I have charts and tables for 15 different countries. What I wanted to show was, is that it's not unique to the United States. Um, all developed countries do this effectively the same way. So it doesn't matter if you're in Australia or South Korea or France or the UK, doesn't matter, or the US, doesn't matter. You're gonna, you can still look for what does the government want me to invest in? And if I do that, the government's gonna give me a tax benefit. And you're convinced anybody can use these 
tactics. Anybody who's and, like a, any, who's makes anybody money. Yeah. any here. In fact, by law. So you talk about is this legal? By law, under our constitution in the U.S., we have an equal protection, which means that two people doing exactly the same thing have to be treated exactly the same way. So, I think that means that the tax law is ultimately fair. Now, you have to choose, am I going to do those things, right? right? So anybody can get the real estate tax benefits if they invest in real estate the way the government wants them to invest in real estate. But if you don't invest in real estate, you're not going to get those tax benefits. Yeah. So it's totally fair and anybody can do it. And you don't have to make, you don't have to be rich to do it. My goal with my books um, Buck, just like what you do um, to a large extent is I'm just trying to let more people know right. about just how easy it is to, to build wealth and pay less tax. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, obviously you have been doing this for years and I thank you for that. You certainly, one of the uh, first books that I read after reading the Kiyosaki books is yours. And, and uh, that was a major influence. And again, I do uh, highly recommend that anybody who has not read Tom's uh, original book, Tax-Free Wealth. I mean, there's a, there's a second edition there. Definitely read it. That's a great place to start. The new one, pre-order it. Uh, tax-free, uh, after Tax-Free Wealth, you gotta, win, you gotta read The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, Seven Investments the Government Will Pay You to Make. And uh, Tom, there, as you go through all this, and there's all this theoretical information, uh, you have a you know, consortium of, of CPAs uh, that can right. help you navigate it. And that, uh, that is WealthAbility. Tell us a little bit about WealthAbility. Well, thank you, Buck. Wow, great. Free advertising. I love there it. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, so we do. We have a network of about 55 CPA firms. They're small CPA firms. So they're not, um, they're not these mammoth CPA firms where you get lost. And what we do is we just train them in our system for reducing taxes and building wealth. One one thing um, I don't think we've shared with you yet, Buck, that I, I need to, you and I need to talk about is we actually are launching a software platform for our clients, the clients of our network members. We're launching that uh, later this week. Oh, great. And so sometime you and I probably ought to just kind of walk through it sure. and see if it's something that you'd like to, to use for yourself. Sure. Um, because I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, if you rely on an individual person um, for just what knowledge they have, you're, you're limited to just that person. But if you rely on a network of people and you rely on a system, now you've got some repeatability and you can do it over and over again. And you've actually got more than just one person or more than just one CPA firm or more than just one thought process. And I think that expands what's possible. One of the things you've always done for, for me, frankly, Buck, is that you've always pushed me. Yeah. You, you always say, well, Tom, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Well, what about this? And yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I literally love that. I'm always looking for new ideas, new ways to do things. And um, that's what we're trying to, that, that's our goal at WealthAbility and our WealthAbility Network is let's look at, let's look at money differently. Let's look at the tax law differently. Let's look at wealth differently and let's see what we can do so that everybody, uh, our goal is that everybody in the world has the opportunity to become um, independent of their employer, independent of Wall Street and independent of the government. 
The, uh, the website to check out there, if you're interested, is uh, wealthability.com. And, uh, you know, make sure when you talk to somebody, you let them know uh, that you are a Wealth Formula um, listener because there is a, you know, there's, we, we, I work a lot with Tom's team and they kind of know our brand in the sense that we, you know, we, people who come through our uh, space kind of are, uh, have a lot of the same knowledge base just from listening to uh, this right. podcast and there's a lot of similar issues. So it's helpful to kind of get people into the firms that we know are probably most appropriate for those people. So, so definitely check that out. Tom, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's always great to have you on and, um, you know, uh, good luck on the book and, and I'm Thank sure you. we'll, we'll talk again in, in a few months. Yeah. And just know you can um, pre-order that either at Amazon, you can pre-order it or you can pre-order at winwinwealthstrategy.com. So it's ready for pre-order and be the first to get, uh, get uh, to, to learn how to get the government to pay for your Ferrari. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. We'll be right, right back. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. And of course, uh, as always, I, uh, I think it's really, really important to you know, pay attention to tax efficient investing. It's really remarkable to me when you think about like the things that we do and the things we talk about are very legal, right? And it's just like when you look at, you know, people who don't understand or don't have exposure to what, what, what we do, uh, and then they do, and then, and then they get exposed to it. It's absolutely mind blowing to them. And they wonder, how is this possibly legal? Well, I often wonder the same thing. But why ask why, you know, just um, you know, work with the system. Anyway, hopefully you uh, enjoyed the show. I would, by the way, if you're inclined to do so, uh, go to wealthformula.com. And if you think we're doing a good job, give us a five-star review over there. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.